I don't care whether you're making a physical product you're going to sell at retail or an info product you're going to sell over your website or a SaaS product. To me, you know, if you're not just going to be me too and be another one that does something, it involves creativity and vision and execution. And uh, you'd be surprised. Not a lot of people act on their ideas. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Kahn. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the co founder and CTO of Brandcasters, Tom Hazard. Being an influencer is all about knowing how to be found online. In today's episode, you will learn how you can stand out with effective search engine optimization. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Tom Hazard. As a top influence strategist for speakers, authors, and experts, Tom helps major publications, sports stars, and entrepreneurial influencers brandcast their original messages via podcasting and videocasting. Tom is a real inventor and successful product designer with over 40 U.S. patents issued and pending. He has been rethinking brand innovation for 30 years. His latest software as a service and marketing as a service innovation, Podetize, reinvents podcast hosting, advertising, and brand marketing with an obsessive podcaster-centric focus on solutions to get hosts seen, heard, found, and rewarded in our noisy digital world. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you on. So you have a really fascinating career journey. I've learned through my own experience and watching others that careers are very rarely linear. I think there's this sort of myth and misconception, um, particularly for those of us over a certain age, that careers are supposed to be linear. You study a certain thing, you get a degree in whatever, you get a job in whatever, you work for a few places, and then you retire. And it generally does not work out like that. I've hardly ever seen a career that works out like that. You graduated from the Rhode Island School of Design, and now you're the creator of Podetize, with a bunch of steps in between. How did that all happen? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, really, from the youngest age, I was definitely a creator uh, and in the arts. And I'm, I was always had a project, something that I was doing, creating something. So it really wasn't a shock that I went to art school, Renowned School of Design. Studied industrial design, which is really, for anybody that doesn't know, it's kind of the intersection between sculpture and engineering, really. <laughs> You end up being educated in manufacturing processes, how things are made, and you learn to use every different kind of material and manufacturing process available, but you're also creating art within that. And, and I did intend 
and for many years did pursue industrial design in my career. I've had a few different businesses that I've owned over my career. That's why I have so many patents because creating, when you create products, physical products, and actually I've learned info products or software products, invention is kind of a natural byproduct of that. So to me, 40 patents, that's kind of low. I think it's like I've gotten one or two more since that stat. It probably has to be uploaded, um, updated. But it's not like I set out to patent things like that's a part of my business strategy. It just sort of naturally happens. But anyway, being creative, going to school for industrial design, it was just a natural fit for me because I'm, I'm always was creating things, inventing things. I would take my toys apart as a kid and turn them into something else. And then as I left school and got into the beginnings of my career, after about a year of working for other people and because I couldn't really get a job directly in industrial design where I was in at the time was in South Carolina. There wasn't a lot there, but I was there because my wife had a job. I was already married and um, followed whoever got a job first. That's where we went. That's often how it works. Yeah. I mean, hey, you got a job. They're going to pay to move you. You've got health insurance. I mean, this was in the mid nineties, you know, and uh, it's like, yeah, sure. We'll go. But it also made it easy for me to start to do my own thing. I mean, I worked for others, sure, to have a job, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so it it makes it easy to think about doing your own thing when you're not really working your career. Had I gotten a job as a designer, designing products for some company, maybe I would have done that for a while. But I guess, how you know, the, your question, how do you get from there to owning and operating a podcast production company and a podcast hosting platform and and a whole lot of new things that we're doing. I mean, to me, it just is another creative outlet instead of designing and developing physical products, which I did for many, many years for, you know, you probably bought some of the products that that Tracy, my uh, co-founder and, and wife and I developed you just didn't know it because we were doing it behind other brands, you know, things sold at Costco, Target, Walmart, Staples, all sorts of places like this. But as the landscape changed of things being manufactured over in Asia, less and less of the products we buy at retail are designed by Americans. A lot of retail stores just go over to China to factories and shop for products to put on their shelves, things that are already done and are not designed by someone in the U.S. They're not by someone who actually has the same need or uses those products. So the environment changed a lot over, you know, the earlier parts of our careers. And it got harder and harder to find companies that were willing to pay for U.S. designers to create products for them to have manufactured or to manufacture themselves. So at one point around 2014 or so, Tracy and I were like, I think we need to change what we're doing, you know, and it was a pivot point in our careers for sure. And we had been podcasting on our own. And just because of who we are, we researched podcasting before we did it. We learned everything we could learn about it, watching, you know, 20 different videos, reading 50 different books, listening to endless podcasts about podcasting, figuring out how we wanted to do it. And then as we did it, we discovered 
but everybody who was talking about it was holding something back. You know, as we compared them all, it wasn't obvious they were holding something back. But when you read one and you see, well, they're not talking about this, you know, so they're they're leaving something out. And you sort of see the patterns. And so we did what we thought was best to meet our needs uh, at first that's within the context of what everyone else is doing. And then we experiment and say, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? Some of it's experimenting and some of it is trial and error where you are, or speculation, maybe I should say, where based on what we know, I think it might be, we might get more out of this podcast if we also did this. And so anyway, just through design of experiment and testing on ourselves first, came up with a lot of new stuff and found our own needs weren't being met by the existing podcast hosting platforms and by all the different services that are out there. And we hired our own team of people to do a lot of unusual things in podcasting. And we got a whole lot more value out of it in terms of listeners, in terms of potential customers, in terms of website traffic and all all sorts of different things. And we realized there's a different way to do this and more beneficial if you're podcasting in service to a business. So there's a big caveat there. I mean, people that are doing a passion project podcast maybe don't care about, you know, how many people visit their website because of their podcast. But if you're in business and you're looking to get more listeners as a way to get more customers or as a or you're wanting to interview people to build rapport for them to be your clients or, you know, also who knows, all sorts of different business purposes to podcasting. Pretty early on, we cracked a different kind of code that achieves a lot of success. And other people in business said to us, that's great what you're doing. Could you do that for me? And it sort of started as gee, wow, you mean I could reduce the cost I'm spending leveraging the team I have across two or three podcasts instead of my own? Sure, I can save some money there. And so that started out that way. But by the time you get 10 or 12 other podcasters that you're supporting, and then you keep adding more people to do that, it it sort of grew into a business organically. And then after we had a certain number of dedicated employees, we spun it off as its own corporate entity. We had another business in product design and development. Actually, that company still exists, although we really don't do anything with it. And then uh, really, Brandcasters Inc. is the name of the company. You know, the brand became Poditize, just sort of grew organically. And now uh, it's pretty significant with with a whole lot more things we're doing today than we did in the beginning. But so, I mean, it's it's an interesting path. And you might think, you know, gosh, you spent all this time in college being educated in art and design. Is that wasted or lost here with the current company? And actually, I would say absolutely not. You know, all the experiences informed us as to what we're doing today. But it's really more about having vision to see opportunity and make something unique that doesn't exist today and being willing to take that action to prove it out and then execute on it. And that's, I don't care whether you're making a physical product you're going to sell at retail or an info product you're going to sell over your website or a SaaS product. To me, you know, if you're not just going to be me too and be another one that does something, It involves creativity and vision and execution. And uh, you'd be surprised. Not a lot of people 
act on their ideas. Everybody says, oh, I've got this great idea. It's usually a parent of one of my closest friends who's known me since I was a kid. It says, oh, Tom, you're, you're the inventor. They always see me that way, right? You're the creative guy. I've got this idea. You should do something about that. And it's always this crazy idea, <laughs> you know, because they don't have the perspective of acting on it and understand what it really takes to take something from an idea to a product. And uh, that fundamentally, that's if you can do that, that's the key to, to success, to take something from just being an idea to being actually something that becomes tangible that people will trade their dollars for. Isn't that what industrial design is all about, taking something from idea to product? It is, but it's usually industrial design is, is truly about a physical manufactured product of some kind rather than an info product or a software product. I mean, right. It's a, it is a very specific kind of, of um, item that you're selling, but I, yeah, I was thinking more about the concept of taking something from an idea and then turning it into something that people will buy. Yes, you're correct. In in that sense, it is the same. Yes. Yeah. It's like I studied engineering. And so I tend to be fairly focused on how do I create a process for something, even though mm. I have spent very little of my career actually doing engineering. But that training is sort of embedded in the way I think. Uh, that's completely understandable. And I, I agree with that. It's interesting. I'm, to me, when it comes to process, I, that that becomes a bit of a kryptonite for me. I'm much more on the creative and visionary side of things. And I, although I completely get the tangible aspect of, you know, an idea is only as good as if you actually translate that into something that someone will pay money for and buy, it's got to get real. But in terms of process, I'm not a logistics and process type of expert. I need to hire others to keep everything else organized and create those systems. Anyway, I know that about myself, which is a good thing to know. It, it always <laughs> so is, right? Yeah, know, know what yeah. you need a team for. I want to go back right. to something you said before about when you were doing all this research on podcasts and you said podcasters were usually holding something back. What's an example of something that somebody was holding back? Well, what I mean by that is there, and this is going back, you know, 10 years ago when I was really first researching getting into podcasting, there were a lot of sort of the original kind of gurus of podcasting and they all pretty much had a course you could buy if you wanted to, to learn how to podcast. And they would tell you a lot of the tactical realities of how to podcast, you know, get a microphone, you got to, at that point, it was connected to a mixing board and have some interface to a computer. If you're going to use Skype or something at the time was to connect and record, which I used in the early days and thank goodness don't use anymore because Microsoft ruined it in my opinion. But then there's a lot of better tools today, but that you, you got the tactical realities of how to do it. But when it came to really how to be successful, it seemed they were always holding something back for it. Let me try, you asked for a specific example. You mean, you mean talking about financially successful or like success based on what metrics? No, I wasn't thinking financial. I was thinking about 
success being how you reach more people, how you get, you know, your message out to the world more easily and maybe to an extent how you get found by more listeners organically. No one's really talking about that. So you asked for a specific example and I'm trying to, it's been so many years now. For example, the show notes, let's just take show notes, which is a cliche term in the podcast industry today, I think, because it means different things to different people. That's one of the tough things about podcasting, too. I think that we don't all work from the same dictionary of what all these terms mean, like what's a podcast, what's a show, what's an episode. A lot of people talk about an episode as a show when, and you know, a show to me is the podcast, the catalog of all the episodes. To other people, a show is an episode, one of many. Anyway, that's what I mean, some of these terms. But yeah, so, so going back to your, your example of show notes. Show notes. So really, in back when uh, we started, show notes were considered something that you could take it or leave it. It wasn't, you didn't need to have a website. You had a podcast. It's an audio show. It's on all the listening apps. Why do you need show notes? Show notes, they they could be a little more data in the description that is in your listening app, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher at the time was, you know, one of the more popular ones. And what we saw is some people putting those show notes on their websites and making more in-depth show notes that were, if you really studied it and got into it, were giving them value on their website. They were getting more traffic to their website because of it, which would get more eyeballs on products or services or affiliate things that they were offering and making money on. But they weren't telling those of us who started podcasting, you really need to have a website. And you really need to have a post for every episode. And here's why. But we saw people doing that and some of the benefits. And then, so not only did we see that as an opportunity and something that was being held back from most podcasters starting at the time, we decided to lean into that even further. And this is where we started creating a very, very long form blog post for every episode that was based on what was said in the episode. And it was all for SEO purposes. I mean, this we developed over probably a year of doing it for our own show and then seeing the results that were significant. But as we kept going forward in our own podcast and in our journey and even starting this business organically, still nobody was talking about it. Now, it's become a little more common today where people say, oh, you got to transcribe your episodes and you got to put the transcript up. But I still see people having a PDF downloadable transcript from their very short summary show notes page, which does nothing for you in terms of SEO. It just makes a transcript available if anybody wants it. I think very few people actually ever really do want it in reality. But that's just an example of, you know, we saw others take getting more value out of their website than they were revealing to the people they were teaching about podcasting. And a website was considered an afterthought, maybe even really not really necessary for most podcasters. And today, 
to me, if you don't have a website that's a home for your podcast and you don't have a really good blog post for every episode, you're just leaving opportunity on the table and not getting the maximum value you can for yourself out of your podcast. You may be bringing you know, your message to all the listening apps and providing people value who are looking for a podcast. Sure, that's great. But you'd be found by more people and be able to help them more if you had a website because more people would find you and your show. So let's talk about this, about the value piece. You focus on speakers, authors, and experts. Where is the value for them in having a podcast? Hmm. Good question. Well, let's just take one of those because I think they're each may have different needs. A speaker, somebody who either is or wants to be a paid professional speaker, wants to be found by more event planners, more you know, brokers of speakers to events. I mean, the people that are on the real paid speaking circuit, I mean, get paid, you know, five figures to speak at an event. And how are you going to market yourself to those event planners? Well, having a podcast is one really good way to do it. First of all, if you do it right, I mean, I, I guess I'm going to assume here for a moment, your podcast may be about, or at least occasionally discuss speaking from the stage professionally, right? So an event planner who is searching maybe on Google or in other places about looking for someone who speaks on a certain subject, you know, can we all agree, and this is sort of a rhetorical question for all of your listeners as well as you, can we all agree that when people go to look for something, they are usually going to search on Google first? Even if they have maybe other potential resources for where to search, they're probably going to Google something. And how are you going to come up in Google if you don't have a web page somewhere? That's really what Google's all about is matching people up with what they type in their needs in their search bar with web pages out there that are in alignment with what they searched on. So by having a podcast that talks about those things. And uh, I can, you know, give you an example of, of one that's very successful if you want. Yeah, that would be great. Which is The Successful Pitch with John Livesey, who's the host. Uh, we've been supporting him for four and a half or five years now. And we have created not only a comprehensive blog post for every one of his new episodes for those four or five years, we actually, he had 150 or 200 episodes by the time he learned about us. And we've gone back and created that same kind of blog post for all of his past episodes over the course of probably a year. And so his website has become an SEO powerhouse and he does speak and is paid to speak in the U.S. and internationally and is more widely known and found because his website is just very highly ranked. And even if you don't search, you don't know who John is. You don't know he has a podcast. But if you search on certain topics, his podcast episodes come up in that search. And if you click on it, you go to his website, you realize, oh, this is a podcast and you can listen right there. But you're also on his website. So you see he is has this speaker 
top level menu item on his podcast, you see, oh, he's a paid speaker. Let's see what he speaks about. I mean, it is organic content marketing in its purest form. And all John did was speak his way to it through his podcast. No, it's a great example. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sure. What do you think is the top success metric for podcasters that are speakers, authors, and experts? The success metric? Yeah, because I know this is somewhat of a loaded question because you and I had a conversation offline about downloads, right? Which is is a common metric right. in the podcasting world. And, you know, there are many people who talk about downloads, ask about downloads. And I know you and I both have an opinion about downloads as a success metric. So um, that, yeah. that, that's sort of what's behind this question. Okay, so... I'd say downloads are one metric that in and of itself can be very exciting and can be meaningful, but by no means are the metric of success for a podcast, at least in my opinion. I'd rather you have a hundred raving fans that are coming back and listening to every episode than have 10,000 casual listeners who aren't really all that serious or aren't going to engage with you. And so it's all about really relevance. And let me get back to your specific question, the success metric. It's really total reach, I would say. And there are many things that go into your total reach. Downloads are one piece of it. But you can reach actually more people raise awareness for your podcast and reach more people through your website than you can within a podcast listening app, especially if you've got a few hundred listeners and not like some other shows do have tens of thousands of listeners and even, you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners. There certainly are shows that do that, but you can reach more people, provide more value and be found yourself more through what those episodes, those podcast episodes do for you in your website than you can through the listening apps, especially if you haven't, and and this is the problem with a lot of podcasters out there who just decided, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go start a podcast. And they don't do a lot of research on how to do it, or they don't get support to know if what they're going to do is going to be a best practice or not. And they they just record some audio on a platform like Anchor that's free and put it out there on the apps and, and they leave it as an audio show. They probably haven't done a very good job writing the description of their show. They got a one or two sentence description and they sort of don't know what they don't know, right? They haven't done their research. They don't realize, you know, they, they put it out there like, well, why is nobody listening? Well, even, and this is sort of a tip for your listeners, even your description of your show and your podcast listening is a critical part of your podcast platform. And if you haven't written that from an SEO perspective, your show is not going to come up in very many searches when somebody is in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever app they're using and they're searching to meet their needs. Well said. I want to shift gears for a minute and talk a little bit about the 
community aspect that could be either connected with podcasting or just business in general. And just if you have an experience with community that um, that you'd like to share, that would be great. Uh, sure, I do. And actually, I was in in business. This is in business specifically. Okay, I. Until about 2015, 2014 to 2015, I was not very involved in community in business. What I did in business with industrial design and for clients of mine was very siloed. There's a lot of secrecy. You're working on something new that's going to come out. You don't really talk a lot about it. You didn't have a need to go out to trade shows or events very much. But in 2015, about early 2015, as the landscape was changing for how products are manufactured, mostly in China, you know, my my business partner, Tracy, and I looked at each other and said, we need to start doing something different. I mean, we're, we've been making a living at this for a while. We're not really haven't really had some major home runs. We haven't become independently wealthy and and the landscape is changing. It's going to change around us. We need to change and do something different. So what we did is we actually looked into what communities could we maybe participate in and be a part of that might be able to help us learn what we don't know and, you know, sort of pivot in careers a little bit. And, and at the time we were thinking necessarily of a major career pivot as much as how can we learn more to expand maybe the horizon of the different companies or clients we could work for. Who knows? Who knows? We didn't really know, but we said, we got to start doing something different. So I have to credit Tracy with this because she, she went on to, as soon as we had this conversation, she went on meetup and she found there was an event that evening locally in our community here in Southern California of an organization called CEO Space. And I don't know if you know that organization, David, it's been around for a long time and we didn't know it from anybody, but it was a free meetup. It was at UC Irvine, you know, uh, an evening meetup at a UC Irvine location, which is in our, you know, area. And she went to it and it happened to be one person who was there that night, which was kind of unusual, was Bernie Dorman, who was the founder of that. He didn't always come to local events, but he happened to be out. And so she met with him, talked to them, and met a couple other people that, and they did this amazing. Let me, I'm pausing a second because I want to make sure I capture this appropriately. With any kind of community organization like this, some people really embrace it and think it's a wonderful thing and other people get sort of creeped out by it and don't understand it. I mean, I think it's true of a lot of different community organizations. Some people are very much in alignment with an organization or are put off by it and are not. And, you know, I know there's a lot of things, positive and negative, I've learned over the years that that people who have experienced CEO space either loved it or didn't love it. But I'll tell you, there's a couple things that I have to credit that organization for doing for us that I know we would not be where we are today with our company, with Podetize, if we were not involved with CEO space. Because there's people we met through this community that made an absolute difference. 
and the path we went on and got where we're at today would not have happened had we not gotten involved and become members of CEO Space. And in fact, Tracy and I eventually became faculty at CEO Space, teaching podcasting and product design and development sort of things, among other things. But there was this one thing that I love that, and I, I think your audience might find this interesting, so I want to share this. There's something that CEO Space was wonderful at having people who did not know each other experience and got them to network with each other that was called an, an activity called SNAP. And SNAP is an acronym. It stands for Super Networking Accelerates Potential, I think is what it stands for. And what what you would do, whether it was at a local CEO space event or one of their big in-person events, which have not come back as in-person as I'm speaking since the pandemic. The last one I went to was in the summer of 2019. There maybe was one or two quarterly events, but by the time we got into early 2020, it all shut down and went virtual. And it's very sad to me because CEO space was really never the same after that. They do virtual, but to me, it's not, it's not what it was for sure. But Snap would be this, the, I'm going to give you the the big event physical breakdown of Snap. You'd have, you know, 100 people attending a physical event for all week long at a CEO space major forum, they would call it event. And you'd have, let's see, if it's about 100 people, you'd have maybe 15 to 16 or more different circles of half a dozen chairs in a big banquet room at a hotel and you come into this snap event and everybody picks a circle of chairs and sits in a chair and underneath each chair is sort of a goofy hat you would that they they had enough hats for everybody and the idea is to have fun with this whole thing with these goofy hats right and not have everybody be worried about how they look really and you know and, and things like that so i, I kind of like that but in the local event you wouldn't have the hats you would do a smaller version of the snap but anyway they what you would have one person in the group stand up and then you'd run to any open circle where there's a seat, sit down, and you tell these other five people, you you give them your snap, which is, think of it as an elevator pitch, and that's an oversimplification. But basically, who you are, what you do, and what you're looking for as a business to, to accelerate and move forward. And everybody in that circle listens to it. And if there's anything that they can do to help move you forward in that or a contact they know, or, or even if they don't know, if they know someone who might know, they would hand you a card. And this isn't a business card. This is a, a like an index card type of thing with either they know someone who can help you or they can help you or, you know, there was like three different things. And so you run around for about 20 minutes in all these circles, giving your snap fast as you can, collecting as many cards from people as you can. And it's this cooperative thing of everybody helping each other to try to move everyone forward. That's one example of a wonderful community activity in business that I have never seen equaled in any other community that I've, you know, tried or been a part of. And Again, the big thing for me, because of the people I met through CEO Space, I know that, that I wouldn't have this business today without having met those people. So I have to give it some credit. So that's a very long answer to your question, but I thought it was kind of a fun story to share. It's also an inspiring story for us to 
end this episode on. So I want to thank you for sharing that. Tom, if someone wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or access resources you may have or get in touch with you, where's the best place to go? So if it's podcasting related, you can go to podatize.com and write on that homepage about two thirds of the way down is a booking calendar that if you can choose a date and book a call, it'll actually book it with me. Uh, so if it's anything podcast related, if it's not, then tomhazard.com is my personal website that also has more information and some contact info there. Great. Well, I want to thank you so much, Tom, for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share a little bit about yourself, your career, your work, um, and the ins and outs of podcasting, which is something that many folks want to learn more about. My guest today has been the co-founder and CTO of Brandcasters, Tom Hazard. Thank you again, Tom, for joining us. Thank you so much. It was my great pleasure. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. On today's episode with Tom Hazard, we learned how you can stand out with effective search engine optimization. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through engaging discussions, live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. I'm David Schreiner-Kahn. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>